Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1992, the podcast where we talk about the music of 1992 here in 2023. I am one of your hosts, Phyllis Scove. And I am your other host, Emily St. James. As you know, every week, this podcast is about my obsession with country music and how uh, Phil is coming to love it over the course of how many episodes have we done now? Just about country 50, music? 50, something like that. That, that sounds right. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah. I, so for a little context for our listeners. Country music was invented in like the mid, the mid 1900s, the mid 1800s uh, by uh, it was uh, known as like mountain music. Go ahead, Phil. That, that, that. I was, uh, no, I, I mean, I was just going to say that uh, Emily texted me and said um, we should do, if I'm not mistaken, it started as a Garth Brooks centric episode. Yes, I, okay. I wanted to do because this is this is the peak of Garth Brooks. And we're going to talk about that at, mm-hmm. at length because this mm-hmm. is the year when he cashes all his chips on a thing that makes everybody very mad. And I love it. Mm-hmm. This is when he he changed his name or created a no, persona. No, no, that's oh. that's 1999, okay. and we'll oh, we'll wow. talk about that. As I should have sure. come on for that, really, you should have come yeah. on for the life of Chris Gaines. Um, the just, uh, I, I, just to talk about Chris Gaines for a very brief second here, because yeah, I do think do it. it's interesting, it, because it, it's it's a relatively common thing for I don't want to say pop stars, but like big musicians to create an alter ego of some sort mm-hmm. like it's happened a fair amount of times right yeah. i mean like mm-hmm. and, and it's only marginally successful <laughs> like it's never really a big hit here's the the wild thing is garth brooks uh, just you would not expect this he's pretty good at acting 
and like he wanted to make a movie about okay. this character chris gaines okay but he was like we need to establish chris gaines as a mm. presence outside of this movie so mm-hmm. i'm gonna basically the life of chris gaines is a greatest hits album for an artist that never existed garth's <laughs> is crazy <laughs> i mean that's crazy garth, garth brooks is like an amazing person i i fucking love him even when i don't like all so he's he's recorded a lot of music i don't care for but he's just like a wild man and i just fucking love, his, love the way his brain works um he's like a semi-regular on a food network show because his wife like is a food network host and he like, has he'll... acted in things right yes yes he was like he was like an snl host a couple times like that he's I, done... I know that and it did feel as though he had sort of this like dad like energy that people seemed to were kind of into mm-hmm. but i want to see what he's uh acting uh, but yes, gonna, sorry, continue. I'm sorry. gonna finish the Chris Gaines story. So uh-huh. Garth Brooks has this this movie called The Lamb that he wants to get made. Okay. And okay. he's like, but it, it's about Chris Gaines, and that's not a person that exists. And rather than just be like Garth Brooks stars in a movie, which is a thing that a lot of musicians at his level of fame have done. Absolutely. You know, you've had you've had Madonna and um Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston, all of these people. I've just started in a movie. Garth Brooks is like, mm-hmm. we need to establish this fictional person as a real person. <laughs> and so they record- lay the groundwork. Yeah. Otherwise no one will know. He records a greatest hits album. I do think part of it is Garth Brooks very consciously, even at the height of his popularity was like, I'm not going to put my, push my singles on pop radio. They're going to be mm-hmm. country music singles. And then Chris Gaines is like more of a pop artist. Cause Garth is Garth is always, I we're first name basis, really Garth and I, yeah, um, yeah. Garth has always been so much more into rock music than I think people knew. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can hear it if you listen to his songs, sure. but like, um, but he, uh, so he, he says, I'm going to, he, I'm good with Chris Gaines. He wants to like break into pop radio. So to this day, Garth Brooks highest charting pop music single is a Chris Gaines song, which hit number five. Like I have, here's the thing. I have heard a lot of Garth Brooks music. I've never heard this song. I don't know what it is. I, you know, I, I think, uh, but it is his highest charting song on pop radio. He's had dozens of country music number ones. He's never had a pop music top 10 song, except for this Chris Gaines song, which is so good for I, him. Here's the thing. My knowledge of Chris Gaines is, tr- begins and ends with a picture. I, in my head, have... <laughs> the album cover image of Garth Brooks goatee emo hair like Mm -hmm. full-on like he looks like uh Tobey Maguire in Spider-Man 3 like it's Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. that's all I know I I don't think I've ever heard a song I don't think all I know is that I remember vividly this moment when when Garth Brooks decided that this other person existed and it's not like a Sasha Fierce situation because like Sasha Fierce was like kind of i mean i guess it's a little similar which is that like she she had a story for it is it is it's similar to that or like ziggy stardust except it's like here's a totally different person who records a totally different style of music like i think i think there is something about garth brooks that is like theatrical i think there is an element of like i i would bet that he loves musical theater like there's just an element of him that seems drawn to that dramatic uh side so in 92 he's very big 
In '92, right, like, he's 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 very big. I just want to okay. say the the album cover of Chris Life of Chris Gaines. He looks like a minor Australian rocker that like people who like are really into rock from Australia are like this guy's really sure. Good. And then you listen to it and you're like this just sounds kind or, of kind of boring. He's got a little bit of a Chris Angel vibe. Yes, he does. <laughs> Phil, are you familiar with the concept of gender euphoria? No. Look at that! Look, at, Phil just made just made a face. So gender dysphoria. I don't know what is, those two words yeah. mean in concert. Right. Gender dysphoria is the uh, medical diagnosis that trans people used to get our hormones. Gender euphoria is a thing that everybody experiences, but that trans people especially experience when they're living as their preferred gender. And gender euphoria is basically you're like, I love, um, I love being a mom. That gives me gender euphoria. Like okay. I love, okay. you know, I love wearing athleisure to Target. I'm a very like basic white lady. I think the only way Garth Brooks could experience gender euphoria was as Chris Gaines. And I think that's why he did it. I mean, if you ever get to interview him, I hope that's your first question. He'll just be like, what? What? Garth is like really fucking queer friendly. He might, but I doubt he's heard the term gender euphoria. I doubt that's like a thing that's on his mind. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. 92 is kind of his height. Um, he records five albums in five years between 1989 and 1993. He, uh, the first one uh, is, is a big seller. The second one is still his highest selling album. It sells something like 20 million copies. Jesus. It never quite reaches number one on the overall album sales charts. Mm-hmm. And then his third album, Rope in the Wind, his second highest selling album, and I think maybe his best. He's okay. like, I'm going to get that one to number one. It immediately debuts number one on the album charts. We, in 1992, he releases The Chase. And kind of the reason we didn't do a Garth Brooks episode is The Chase is the weakest of these five albums. It's got some good songs, but he's... Yeah, he's that's the reason. Well, you know... I, I'm kidding. Eh. Yes, that's my... That, yeah, sure. I mean, I'm, this I'm, is... I'm just looking at the top albums from that year in terms of the charts. Um, and yeah. The Chase is one of them. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, and then uh, he he in in 1993 does In Pieces, which is also a very good album. Then he takes like a year off. Then he re- releases a few more albums over the rest of the 90s. And in the early 2000s, he retires because he's been touring so much. He's missing his daughters growing up. So he's like, I'm going to go be a dad. He continues to release like compilations, greatest hits, live albums. Then after his youngest daughter has graduated from high school, he goes back into touring he does some vegas residencies and he starts recording new music again um but yeah that that's that's the garth brooks story in a nutshell so in 1992 he is at just the peak of his powers he's in what uh chris malanfi the the host of hit parade and a great music journalist would call his imperial period he can't do anything wrong everything he does everything he touches turns to gold he is uh a massive figure he was definitely my favorite musician at the time phil how familiar were with you were you with any of Garth Brooks' music before this? And I want I just want I want to like clarify for all the listeners at home. This man, the only artist that sold more albums than Garth Brooks is the Beatles. Like Garth Brooks is massively popular, but I he's massively popular in like weirdly like geographic areas. He was massively popular in the U.S. Is it weird? No, like, I mean it is. Like here's here's one. He's wildly popular in Ireland. He's not as popular in the UK, you know, like, why is that? Who knows? Right. Like, so, uh, well, this, yeah. so this, this is, uh, first I'll answer your question. Zero. 
uh, if you played some Garth Brooks songs for me that were big hits, I might recognize them by sound, yeah. but I wouldn't know them in any other capacity. But I, yeah. I, I kind of wanted to ask, this is sort of a grander question to some degree in terms of like, because as I was listening to this playlist that you were kind enough to make for me. We're going to put, we're going to put this on, on Twitter. We're going to link to my Spotify playlist called Phil's country music adventure. (laughs) (laughs) It it was an adventure Uh, because I, I mean, part of the problem I think um, for me and I would imagine for a lot of people is that country music has this, I don't want to say stink because that's not fair, but it has this thing that I think people associate with country music, right? Which mm-hmm. is, um, I mean, I guess now it's maybe a little MAGA. Uh, it's it's Southern. It's, right. you know what I mean? So, and, and there's this sort of like, um, you know, the, the various sort of labels that you put on people that like country music, fairly or unfairly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, for me, I always kind of had that. And this is even like when I was a kid, right? Like sure. it was just, it, 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 and, and obviously I grew up in Toronto. Um, you grew up in a very different part, a very different region of this country. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's an exposure thing too, right? In terms yeah. of, of sort of an acknowledgement of that. So I just wasn't really exposed to this music in any right. real way. Right. I mean, there, there, like, like there is a really rich tradition of Canadian country music, but like you probably wasn't filtering into Toronto because urban areas have traditionally been the hardest for country to crack. Although the '90s is the time when it does. It does. The '90s is. I mean, when Shania is country-ish. Shania is huge. She comes out of country. The thing that she does that's so smart is she makes pop remixes of a lot of her songs. Mm-hmm. Um, but Faith Hill has a huge hit with this kiss. Uh, the Shania Chicks. being in Canada is, is yeah. sort of why I was like, sure, 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 that sure. Was, yeah. That was definitely, she, she definitely broke through. Mm-hmm. And, and I think part of it too is a little bit of the like, it's a little bit of the Taylor Swift thing too, which mm-hmm. is that she found a way to kind of inject pop inside this country thing so like so many of the hits on what is the the big album forgive me the the oh the god I, I, album, my I, apologies i think it's like come on over something that's it like come that. on over yeah. yeah and all of those songs have like are, are this mutant kind of country pop thing which is i think one of the reasons why that blew up as big as yeah. it did and you wouldn't know it to listen to garth brooks now but he is, I don't want to say, he's not the start of that movement, but he's, because there have been country pop songs, True. as long as there's been country music and pop music. There's been thwarted crossovers and, and things like Kenny Rogers, Dolly Parton, Eddie Rabbit's I Love a Rainy Night. Like all of these are songs that were country songs that became pop hits. Mm-hmm. Garth is the beginning of, I'm going to make country music that sounds like country music, but that has enough rock pop edge that you can tilt it over in this way and he never goes all the way he never goes all the way in that like uh, a shania did or definitely definitely a taylor swift did and we'll talk we'll talk a little bit about the the headwinds that that taylor swift faced in terms of obviously she was immensely successful as a country artist but the 2010s were a period when women disappeared from country radio. So uh, she, uh, you know, went off and was going to do pop. Um, but I, I also think, too, you know, not not to turn this into a thing on, on Taylor Swift, but I think it's worth noting. Please, let's do it. Well, I mean, I'm glad we would do it. But I, I, I think that 
you know, all of this, um, this kind of trying to alter the DNA of country music to try to make it more accessible speaks to sort of what I was talking a little bit earlier, which is trying to kind of break down these barriers that exist around this music um, and to make it sort of a little bit more all encompassing. And I think that, you know, Taylor, who notoriously does not grow up in the South, goes to Nashville and kind of creates this and I don't say this in a negative way, but there's a bit of a persona that she creates for herself. And then, she did. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She did grow up in a rural area. And I think that in like, you know, when she writes a song about um, there's this song, uh, I I bet you think about me, which is a country song on on her red Taylor's version. Uh, she's uh, uh, she, there's this thing where she says just living room dancing and kitchen table bills. And I'm like, fuck you, Taylor. Your dad was so rich. You don't get to do this. <laughs> you don't get to do the oh, class, yeah. the class thing that that a lot of country music does um yeah. but yeah the thing the thing that i think mm-hmm. unites country artists who break through to wider success including taylor swift is they find a way to either take country songs taylor sure. swift still her song structures are still country structures mm-hmm. and put them in other forms other spaces folklore a lot of that album got play on country radio for the obvious reason that it's like more acoustic and like they could, they sure. could sort of vibe with it. Um, Betty, Betty was like a pretty big hit on country radio. Interesting. Um, or I mean, it's such a stripped down album, which is, I guess, part of it. Yes. Right? Yeah. Or they do the chick strategy, which is mm. they kind of run away from modern country and go more into bluegrass. And that's like easier for, I think people to appreciate because it doesn't sound like, the wall of steel guitars and the guy who sounds like this, who probably voted for Trump and you have a lot of baggage around him. And seems um, to continually I, win American Idol. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but like, but what I, I love, can I just, I, I want to, I want to unpack this just very quickly. Cause I do think that there's something, th- this is important for me to understand and perhaps, you know, our listeners to some degree, you know, I can get on bluegrass and I can, mm-hmm. I can, I love folk music. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Uh, uh, a Nico case or, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's all sorts of really beautiful folk artists that I love. So I literally typed into Google, like, what is the difference between country music and folk music? Mm-hmm. And it seems to be that folk music tends to be, or at least per Google for what it's worth. Uh, folk songs have several verses with easy to remember chorus sung between arcs. Country music tends to tell a story. Folk songs are usually written for common folk and they're a, more protest songs. Like there seems mm-hmm. to be more of a sort of like political bent to them. Um, mm-hmm. and, and again, it feels like semantics, but I do think that's so vitally important. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, sorry. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. I think that they have a lot, there's a ton of overlap. I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of space for uh, both forms to cross pollinate. Sure. Uh, one of the several of the artists that we listen to today later became pivoted into folk music. Mary Chapin Carpenter has had a hugely successful career writing folk songs. Um, it definitely feels like folk has gotten more story song centric and country has gotten more uh, like we're just going to do a repetitive chorus and it's going to be kind of it's kind of a protest song about the modern like the modern cosmopolitan state in a weird way a lot of sure. country fronted by guys in the 2010s at least well, there's also know. 
the blues and bluegrass component of this also obviously stems largely from the African-American black experience in, in this country as well. Right. You don't see a lot of black country artists. Um, I mean, yeah, yeah, there have been some, but like you look at like the most successful black country artists of the 21st century is Darius Rucker of Hootie and the Blowfish. So like, <laughs> it's, um, uh, but yeah, so like, sword, really. I mean, I, a lot of country is also instrumentation um right, right. Uh, fiddle and uh you know uh often the very twangy guitar mm-hmm. um you know that's a lot that's a lot of bluegrass carryover um yeah. and uh, similarly to folk it's often very acoustic although it it does have a lot of especially garth really really layers on the electric guitars in a way that like mm-hmm takes off obviously there had been electric guitars in country before garth brooks is not like a pioneer but he crystallizes a bunch mm-hmm. of stuff in a way that people find appealing um but yeah and, and this the thing i like about you one thing that we've sort of touched on mm-hmm. is the country artists who break through to the mainstream are almost always women and that is because mm-hmm. country music has always had a thriving scene for women in a way that rock often has not. So if you want to listen to a woman singing about her life and have it not be a pop song, as a lot of people do, you kind of are left with country. Uh, I should, I should say a white woman. There's plenty of um, black hip hop artists who, who are women, but um, uh, also that is a different, like that's a different story in terms of like mainstream crossovers. I hope we do a 92 and hip hop episode because that's a a, a fascinating era. Um, But yeah. So when you have a, uh, the artist on this playlist I made you who had, I would say, the most mainstream success outside of Garth Brooks is probably Mary Chapin Carpenter, who has a number of songs that do well on the pop charts. She gets so many Grammy nominations. She gets so many Grammy awards. Um, she's critically beloved. She's kind of the Casey Musgraves of her day. Um, and, you know, it's she but what she's writing is she is writing songs that are forthrightly feminist particularly within the context that she's in. And that's a thing that is interesting to me about 90s country. And that has continued when you look at the women who make country music to this day. There is a strain of progressivism that is not, you know, doesn't tilt over into leftism or anything, but it's very much like examining the ways in which a woman's place in this world is worth questioning and can be like uh, challenged and looked at from another perspective. And what's happening in the 90s is more women are, are, are doing that. And there's also a few men who are. And then really, I think the, the dividing line is the Iraq war in the early 2000s, when all the, there's so many guys who record songs about how we just need to go and kill Saddam Hussein. And the chicks, of course, have their moment when they say they're not proud of George W. Bush. And it basically kills their career. It does kill their career in country radio. They have to do a hard pivot into pop um, to survive. And they're still recording country-ish songs, but like their audience is now, you know, the coastal elites like ourselves. Well, so I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I vividly remember, you know, on the news, people like burning their CDs and like running over them with like um steamrollers and shit and then i mean obviously they changed their name as well which is understandable but i I, just because it became slightly i think ultimately problematic and also not particularly indicative of their music anymore there's a lot of there's a lot of artists country artists who changed their names from references to the civil war in the wake of the 2020 
protests of the killing of George Floyd and other instances sure. of racial violence. Um, you know, Lady A used to be Lady Antebellum. Antebellum you know? yeah. But then, like, a, an artist I left off this playlist because I was like, they had a huge hit, but I just don't want to acknowledge him. His name, like, Confederate Railroad. So, like, it's not not everybody did, you know? Um, I mean, I, this is – it should be said that, like, this is part of the – I don't want to say problem with country music, but it is it is the barrier of entry for a lot of people is, is this – and it, it might be unfair, you know, I mean, painting with too broad a brush, but I do think that a lot of people kind of, you know, don't want to fuck with yeah. that stuff. You know, I think, I think to some degree it is unfair. Um, I, I used to be one of those people who was like, and I, I've always like, I were the stuff we're listening to country music was my pop music. So like we were, we're, th- we're listening to a time when all I basically consumed was country music. I, sure. I could sing all the words to all these songs still, even the ones I didn't know that well. Um, and think of what I was listening to in 1992. Yeah, this is an interesting question to me. The number one hit of the year was Boys to Men's End of the Road, and the number two hit was Sir Mix a Lot's Baby Got Back. So that gives you that puts you in the mind of 1992. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, it's, continue. It's a weird time. 92 is a weird time for me. It's the pinnacle of grunge, you know. So if you were a grunge kid. Maybe well, I was, I was 12. So like, I'm pro- you know, honestly, it's like, I'm listening to automatic for the people. I'm listening to that REM album. Probably. Um, Is that out in 92? I believe so. That's one of my favorite albums of all time. It's unbelievable. I love that I album. Know. I can't believe you were a 12 year old listening to automatic. For people. I mean, do you know me? Have you met me? I do. I just, <laughs> it's such a, it's such a depressed album about being a gay man during the AIDS crisis. Everybody hurts, baby. They do. They really do. Um, Yeah, I mean, you have to remember, too, and I'm sure this was the case with you as well, and the case with most kids, which is that you're kind of listening to whatever your parents are listening to, to a certain degree, until you start to figure out what, you know, all the kids start to kind of, you know, figure out their, their, their cliques and their what have you. But yeah, so I was listening to probably Mariah Carey. I mean, well yeah we'll we'll, i mean we'll talk a little bit about like me listening to country was my rebellion in some ways but interesting one thing that i uh, the 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 more sort of i mostly like the first 10 years of my life i basically just listened to christian's kid music christian kids music um and then i was like uh another uh thing i was listening to a lot of at this point in time is dc talk and be thankful i did not make you listen Mm -hmm. to a dc talk album phil because that that i could have done that they're a Christian rap. They're a Christian. They were a Christian rap group, and then they were like, "We're going to pivot and become a Christian alt rock group." They were huge. Um, so, would you say that when you were a kid, you probably mm-hmm. would have listened to Harriet Hayes's album? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I did actually. <laughs> I uh, I owned three copies. I had the Harriet Hayes poster hanging up in my bedroom every night. I would God, be like, I "Thank you, got, Harriet." Like, I really <laughs> wish we got like at least one song or an album cover or something. But anyway. Um, I, uh, yeah. So in the like mid two thousands, I was one of those, I don't listen, you know, I listen, I'll listen to anything except country or rap people, which there was a thing that a lot of people said at the time. And sadly, I, uh, ran into this, this like music scholar and that person asked me what I listened to. And they said, you realize that that is rooted in racism and classism. And I was like, what? (laughs) And he said, yeah, there, you know, the, this is the evolution of a thing that people have always said, which is I don't listen to the music of uh, the music that stems from uh, working class black communities and working class white communities. And like, okay. okay, 
that's the thing that we've had in American culture as long as we've had, you know, music and it, the, the targets shift. And so I do think there is an element when people write off country music and I don't want to like say you need to like country music. And it's, it's very clear from talking to you that you have country artists you like, but you keep being like, here's the reason I like but I don't know that I'd consider them country is the thing. Like, I, I mean, who doesn't love Dolly Parton? Like, you'd have to be. A, Dolly a Parton person. is so country. That's what I'm saying. So, like, I'm not yeah. saying that, like, yeah. I, I'm, I'm completely oblivious to the charms of this music. Mm-hmm. It's more just, I think, I think the music that is played on the radio or the things sure. that are going to break through might not be of the best caliber. And I was just not a kid that was going to go digging for good country yeah. music. And especially like, especially right now, like the number one song in the country is a, a country song by Morgan Wallen, who is not my favorite. He's a guy who's gotten in trouble for uh, using racial slurs. Um, and then he did a good apology and was like, I'm going to work on this. And he did never work on it. So um, he's no longer saying racial slurs in public, I guess. That's I guess something. that's that's a thing he did. Good for you, Morgan. <laughs> Um, I yeah it's I, when I see occasionally you know clips of the country music awards or mm-hmm. you know what I mean the the American country awards or whatever they're called there's both of there's the CMAs and the ACMs yeah sure mm-hmm. and and I, I you know in the years I've caught a clip or two on television or whatever and it it really feels like another world to me like it doesn't it yeah. feels very kind of they've really kind of inoculated themselves from so much music that it's just it's become it's, it's become very niche and i don't want to say it's become again casey musgraves crossed over taylor swift crossed over um but again these are women who are crossing Man. over because they cannot find you know casey musgraves couldn't get airplay on country right. radio you know so um she does uh golden hour you know it's never like a, it, she's never had like a pop hit but she turns into an album artist that a lot of people really love. But like her, her first album, I think is one of the great country albums of the last 10 years. And uh, you know, it had, it did have like a top 10 hit, uh, but that was kind of the pinnacle of her, her thing. And like she wrote uh, the songs, her her top 10 hits called follow your arrow. And it is uh, explicitly like queer positive. And that was like, everyone was like, wow, you really were brave. And it's literally just her being like, you can kiss a girl if you want to. How brave. And she also is like, I smoke pot. And people are like, whoa, <laughs> Casey, <laughs> calm down. Take I do it think, easy. though, because, like, you know, I still watch American Idol. I didn't really watch it in its heyday, which is kind of, I don't know, whatever. I, I, I watched it weirdly when, like, it was, no, it was it was now passe to watch it, and that's when I started watching it weirdly. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and Keith Urban was on there for a few seasons. And now, mm-hmm. what's-his-face, whose name I can't even remember, is on it now. Uh, I don't watch American Idol, so I couldn't tell you. God, it's Katy Perry and uh, fucking, what is his name? God damn it. Um, but uh, hosts, Jesus. Um, Eric Church? This no. just feels like somebody who would be hosting. Luke Bryan is his name. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, and you you would think that I mean that's just them courting country music fans and wanting those people to watch the show, which clearly mm-hmm. they still do because they seem to win every single time now. But I, I this is all just kind of a long way of saying that in my brain it seems like those guys are breaking through, but I guess they're not really breaking through is what you're saying. No. Okay. Yeah. Morgan, Morgan Wallen um, has to some extent in the sense, but like the uh, Chris Malanfi, who I referred to earlier, has a great article about the way that, you know, his music is still just enormously popular within a niche. It hasn't hit 
a sort of it hasn't hit the mainstream in the sense of like people on the coasts are talking about it you know like i have probably heard one or two songs by him i think part of the problem is uh country music by men is largely interchangeable now there's certainly stuff there's certainly good songs um sturgill simpson is an amazing artist but he's kind of not country he's kind of in a weird like rock bluegrass world like that's it's the same thing as like like the chicks where like he was like i can't cut through here so i'm gonna go over here and do something that's a little more alt folk thingy uh alt folk thingy thingy. um because i imagine at some point we're going to talk about him but i feel like this is an interesting moment to talk about him to some degree which is donald uh, trump no uh no uh what is the what's the song uh that billy say billy ray cyrus did with um the the one that the giant like old country road is that what it is oh old town road yeah old town Mm -hmm. road Mm -hmm. um so he writes that song correct like that's his song and then um forgive me what's the artist's name who who will not x is not sorry will not x remixes it correct like it's a remix of it i believe that it was originally Nas x's song and then they brought in billy ray cyrus for the remix because they wanted to sort of see if they could cross um, over into the country space i i like it did really well like it 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 hit it's a shockingly successful song it's the it's the it was the biggest song in america that year it's one of the biggest songs of all time but it also hit number 19 on the country charts which for a rap song is incredible because i don't want to say there's racism baked into country music because i don't think there is there is racism and sexism baked into country radio in a way that makes it hard to appreciate the ways in which the genre is not inherently you know uh anti uh is not inherently prejudiced in in certain ways but country radio has a very we're going to talk about the show yellowstone now um oh good can we talk about taylor sheridan too (laughs) there's a thing about yellowstone in the way that like people have i'm not going to sit here and say yellowstone's a good show because it's not but there is a popular conception of that show that is completely wrong, which is that it's like a red state show. The red state Trump show. And that show has really complicated, really interesting politics. They're surprisingly progressive. They're surprisingly interested in things okay. like the ways that Native Americans' land was stolen. They're mm-hmm. interested in things like income inequality. And uh, there's a this is the only television show I've ever heard of that has done a storyline about the forced sterilization of indigenous women on reservations. Like it is a show well, that I don't know if you know this, but Taylor Sheridan saved the indigenous people. They, he did, and like I, I, Taylor Sheridan's such a piece of shit that I like hate you know uh, giving giving him any praise, I especially because the show's not that good. But it is a thing where now, if you mm-hmm. like go in and you talk to like a network head or you talk to somebody, because uh, I'm pitching all the time while I'm on strike. I shouldn't have said that, but we all know I am. Just on podcasts, uh, yeah. <laughs> But like when you talk to like they've internalized uh, Yellowstone as a Trump show and people just want to see, you know, uh, Trumpy stuff and Kevin Costner is, you know, playing a Trump voter or whatever. And I don't think that that's true. Um, The show, the show, The Leftovers, one of their biggest audiences was evangelical Christians. And that is not a show that is fascinating since it's not really a show about. No, but that's the thing is like. There are all of these issues that are important to people who live in rural areas 
-hmm. that are not being addressed by pop culture at all. And then a show like The Leftovers will touch on them and it becomes a hit with that group. A show like Yellowstone will be set there and it becomes a hit with that group. It is not like, I think the mistake in trying to program things to quote unquote red states is that you don't have to like make a fucking piece of Christian conservative agitprop. You just have to make a, sh a show or a movie or an album that like takes those concerns seriously. Um, Taylor Sheridan's best thing ever was Hell or High Water, which did that exactly. It's a wonderful movie and it became a surprise hit because of that. And I think country music is kind of the only thing that's speaking to that world anymore. And because we live in such a polarized country, it now we've sort of been like country music is like Yellowstone, but country music is wide and complicated. And yes, a lot of it's kind of conservative, but mm -hmm. a lot of it's not. Yeah, that I mean that that all that all makes sense. I you know I te I think I texted you when when I was like, should I watch Yellowstone? And you were like, I mean, sure. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's a big show. I get it. And and you sort of were texting me about how you know this the the, the red state kind of projection onto it, and that it's not really that. Um, but I, I I do think that country music isn't doing itself any favors either like i don't think it's trying to break out of these molds really no. like i think mm -hmm. that old country road is one of those like lightning in a bottle moments when like all of a sudden they were just like what like it, it and it blew everybody's mind that this that this song existed um and i think it was such a groundbreaking thing that it kind of shook the foundations of country music for a little while, but then it just kind of, it's very elastic. It just kind of goes back to where it was. Like it doesn't feel like it's capable or interested in breaking out of that. Well, I think that, I think that what is happening is the, um, we in, we often in music, discussing music, confuse, um, how do I say this? Confuse like, innovation with production elements so uh okay. this is kind of this is kind of i think i this kind of i think stems from the 1960s pop music arms race between the beatles and the beach boys which is like we're going to keep layering new elements on we're going to make more grand sounds and like the beatles and beach boys write amazing pop songs this is not against their songwriting skills you know uh you have to be able to write a good song countries innovations always come in how the songs are constructed what is the lyrical content what are we talking about what stories are we telling so when you are going looking for a country artist or a country song that is truly breaking new ground it's inevitably they're just singing about a new thing. You know, there's a, there's, there's a real spate of uh, country women who got divorced and wrote divorce albums in the last like five years. And a lot of them are fantastic. And it's not like country music has never talked about divorce before, um, but it has very much. This is like a thing that is like, what does it mean to get divorced? What does it mean if you get divorced because you're more successful than your husband and he can't handle mm -hmm. that? Like, these yeah, very Casey like wrote a whole album about it. yeah and and so did i'm i have i'm forgetting her name but i'll look it up before the end because i love this album and i think you would too it's very country but it's very it's very honest and intimate and heartfelt about this woman's divorce and i think that that is where we get tripped up because so much of music is just you ambiently hear it and you slot it into a thing in your brain, and yeah. you're like, this is where this song goes. So country music, which is not terribly interested in shifting its production all that much, to the degree that when someone like Taylor Swift is, she basically has to go to pop music instead, even though she's still writing country songs. 
I think that that ends up hurting how people approach the music because you're not, you're already, you're not paying attention to the lyrical content you would if it had right. more of a pop gloss or if it had, I don't know, I would, I want to hear Casey Musgraves EDM album. Um, but so do I. I, I'm sure we're going to get it someday. It feels, it feels yeah. inevitable. But yeah, and like the, the that sort of, you know, um, it also is not helped by the fact that we have now lived through, it feels like, I do think it's 10 consecutive years of the biggest country act being a white guy who drives a truck and has a hat and sings songs about how he likes to party with his boys and like doesn't like the way his girl keeps him down. And like none of that music has broken out. But if you, Phil Iscove, are just driving through I don't know why you would be in like rural Mississippi, but let's say that you are. Yeah, I don't either. It doesn't if you're just, sound good. If you're just driving through in your pickup truck with your seed corn cap pulled down low and your big old basset hound in the back, and you just flip on this is this Am is I country someone film. else. <laughs> this is country film. <laughs> um, and you just like flip on, you know, uh, uh, country music. Like you're going to uh-huh. hear one of these guys, and you're going to be like, I don't like this, and you're going to switch to you know an oldie station or whatever else you can right. find around there, and like. I do think that one of the reasons I wanted to talk about 90s country is because yes. 90s country is the era when the genre starts to figure out we could get a mass audience if we wanted to. Garth Brooks does. Eventually Shania does. The Chicks do. Taylor Swift does. But simultaneously, there is this element within country music that wants to retrench and just dig in. And then there's also, there's also within that movement a similarly interesting, similarly compelling movement to retrench in a way that is like we want to embrace the roots of country music that becomes things that are still very good, if not as massive as like a Taylor Swift. So we kind of have this like there's almost like a um, traditionalist vibe, which tends to be fairly progressive, a... Uh-huh more rock pop vibe which also is often progressive not always and then there's this like revanchist we are going to do this the way it's always been done and that tends to be uh very a little bit more conservative and i mean that mostly artistically but also politically it starts to become especially after the iraq war and that's the movement that wins and that's why like country music now you know garth brooks can't he still has hits occasionally but he can't really break through uh, the chicks have been have left. Um, Taylor Swift can only chart when she has a single that is released in the year of a pandemic. Like, well, is that fair? I mean, on country, you know, oh, it's a country. it's a fucking it's a fucking great song. So Betty's I, Betty's an amazing song. Betty's but yeah, a great like, track. Yeah, I'm looking at so I googled biggest country music stars, mm-hmm. and a lot of these I know. I mean, you know, I know their names. Tim McGraw. Sure. I know mm-hmm. Garth Brooks. Um, Chris Stapleton is very big right now, right? Mm-hmm. Like that. He mm-hmm. he he broke through. He's he's kind he's kind of he's kind of on his downward slope, but yes, he's he's still sure. big. Yeah, mm-hmm. Blake Shelton. Yep, mm-hmm. had a moment. Um, but then you've got your classic, your Willie Nelsons, your your Dolly Partons, your Hank Williams, right? Like th- mm-hmm. those those are bearing walls, if you will, of sort of like classic country. Um, and and then like in the nineties. Reba McIntyre, I guess, was pretty big, right? I mean, She's I think huge. that yeah. mm-hmm. um, Patsy Cline was obviously before the Tammy Wynette. Like, these are all people that are sort of m- more classical. But, like, I'm trying to think in the 90s, your biggest – you sent – obviously, you sent me this playlist. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying to look at sort of the biggest singles that were released. And truly, like, achy, breaky heart, man. That thing achy, was a fucking earthquake. Which is, like – 
when we were talking about whether to do just a general country in the 90s or a Garth episode, I don't really like Achy Breaky Heart. It's certainly catchy. It's sure. certainly like there. part of the fun was there was a dance you could do with there it. There was. Yeah. If there's a dance you can do with a song, that song's going to do well. That's the thing. That, you know what? Taylor needs to learn that. Taylor needs to remember that. If Here's you could... the thing. Taylor's biggest weakness is she's not the greatest dancer in the world. I love her, but you know. Oh yeah. She's a, uh, she, if you, when you see the eras tour, you'll see how they have, can, they have controlled for that. They are like, Taylor, you're going to just kind of do this off to the side. And then we have all these fantastic dancers surrounding you and that will seem she's like she's just can always dance. just, she's just doing hip stuff. It's always just like kind of just doing a hip, you know, loops. That's why she's got to record "Do the Taylor" a dance for <laughs> awkward white women. Like um, do the Bart man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, "Achy Breaky Heart" massive hit. It is the Huge. number one song in country radio this year. It was impossible not to include it. And here's the thing: it's the number fifteen song in all of music. Like I have, which is absurd for this time period i just i'm gonna read a couple just names of songs here because i think it's worth just hearing some of the names of these songs and i know it's a trope on some level to Mm -hmm. be like country music has you know ridiculous song titles but here's just a couple bubba shot the jukebox now listen that's an arch one that is a knowing an arch song go ahead even the man in the moon is crying hell yeah (laughs) Uh, greatest man I never knew. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm in a hurry. Parentheses, and I don't know why. They don't know why. <laughs> they don't know why. Uh, it only hurts when I cry. Uh, mm-hmm. A jukebox with a country song. <laughs> like these are yeah. just. By the way, Lord have mercy on the working man. Mama, don't forget to pray for me. I mean, these are just like it's old flames have new names. These I'm gonna. Not- I'm going to make you listen to John Deere Green, which is just a beautiful song about painting your water tower green. Literally, that's what it's about. Um, I mean, listen, you know that I love um, uh, a song with a narrative. Like, mm -hmm. I, I, you know what I mean? And And that is kind of the thing about country music that I can probably like glom onto most, which Mm -hmm. is that like, they're telling you a story. Mm -hmm. And I I think that can be kind of great. Yeah. And I had forgotten just how much story song, the story song format is part of country until I was like listening to this playlist of classical country. Like, and again, I was like, well, that's why Taylor's so successful. She's always like, she's using this hugely successful format. She just like, um, the fact that she can write amazing bridges is largely because she came up in the country songwriting factories. Um, Absolutely. uh, She knows how to write a hook. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then on top of everything, you know, <laughs> confessional music about, you know, boys being shitheads is always going to play. Yes, it will. <laughs> um, the, I think so. Achy Breaky Heart, which we're kind of, we're kind of circling. So we might as well yes, just talk yeah, about because yeah, yeah, it is it. the big hit this year. Mm-hmm. Achy Breaky Heart feels to me like a lesser version of what I consider Garth Brooks best song, which is called Friends in Low Places. Comes out in 1990. I think I do know that song. Yes, that is the Garth Brooks song that even people who don't know Garth Brooks have heard because it's yeah. a karaoke. It's a fucking karaoke bop. It is an amazing <laughs> karaoke song. It's uh, but the, the concept of friends in low places is Garth is at a place and he he, his, he finds his girl with another guy 
and the other guy and this girl kind of have like they think garth isn't worthy of their time so he goes up and he delivers a monologue to her about how he's got real friends and he's going to go hang out with them and that's going to be great and i love that song that is like a song i have heard played at seven billion weddings one of my one of my friends from where i grew up i grew up in a tiny town in south dakota one of my friends got married to a girl from new jersey and at their wedding the dj played friends in low places and all the people from south dakota sang it very loudly and all the people from new jersey were like what the fuck is this this? (laughs) but that my friend is america america um but yeah friends in low places great song i think i think it is garth brooks um that or the dance is his crowning achievement i think i might know that one too yeah those are the those are the dance was his first song to kind of break through in mainstream uh america and and friends in low places is the one that has endured in the way that you know uh you because it is again just a fun song to sing Achy, my breaky knowledge, heart. go ahead just for what it's worth my knowledge of billy ray cyrus really is that song which you couldn't escape i mean mm. it was truly everywhere um and and then his turn in mulholland drive listen you don't know him as the father of miley cyrus well, one of our... I know him, who who has i'm assuming just run laps around him in terms of success at this point right i don't know probably i believe she's probably sold more so. album you what you need to understand i mean is... flowers is still number one song in this country right now Yes. But what you need to understand is how huge Some Gave All, Billy Ray Cyrus's album that Achy Breaky Heart is on, was. like, okay. uh, And also album sales now are so far down. You know, that's right. that's right. my main question. But yes, in terms sure. of like, she's had more number one songs than him. And she's mm-hmm. had number one songs on pop radio. So, Wrecking Ball alone. <laughs> Miley, come on the pod. You can talk Beethoven. I mean... Um, <laughs> I would love I would love to talk to Miley Cyrus about a movie that has kid actors in it. I bet she's got takes. I bet she'd have thoughts. I bet she would have thoughts. Miley, come on the pod. Um... I mean, <laughs> I'd love to talk to Miley. I, here's the thing. Miley sounds like an interesting person to me. My, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think she kind of all over the place in yeah. terms of music influences and what have you. But like. She's got a bunch of bangers that are fucking great, like just great songs. She's another person who writes a lot of songs that have heavy country influences. Sure. But again, like is not she's not as as country inflected as someone like. What Taylor, was her like, USA song? Party in the USA. Party in the USA, which is that is fucking, yeah that thing's a yeah. jam. Yeah, <laughs> that is a song that travels from country to pop and back <laughs> again, and I'm convinced that's why it was so big. Love that. Bit, song. It was great. I even like some of the, you know, obviously Wrecking Ball is great, but there was the there was another single off that album as well that was maybe the first single. We can't stop. Yes, yes, great song. These are these are yeah. great songs, undeniably yeah. great songs. It's just I don't know that I've could pick more than five or six of them, but still great songs. Um, so you had heard Achy Breaky, like sure. before this, yeah, sure. like that song. Again. When it, when when it came up on the on the playlist, I was like, well, yes, okay, sure, yeah, yeah. It's um, everywhere. It is again just this undeniable hit, and I do think it is lifting a lot from Friends in Low Places. It's another song about a guy Mm. who goes and talks to this girl, and he's mad at her. And this is a classic country music. Uh, I'm talking to my spurned lover, and I'm mad at them, and I'm just going to say some things that are kind of mean, but not too mean. And basically, I'm going to assure them I'm going to be fine because I can go get drunk. Um, (laughs) 
and I just achy breaky heart is just a little bit too repetitive for me. Sure. It doesn't have a bridge to speak of. Sure. The songwriting craft just isn't all there for me, but I do think that that's part of why it was huge because it's a perfect song to have a dance to and people love to dance and they line dancing dance. was, was, was kind of a thing there for a little while in the early nineties. And yeah, I mean, I think, achy I break- think he was also, he was, he was kind of hot. I think that people were. He's a fucking. He's he's a fucking babe. He's a babe. We can so say it. Kind of all just sort of. You know. It all worked out, but yeah, it's de- he definitely was a heartthrob, and people really, you know, he uh, uh, his 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 other song off that album that was kind of big is um, some gave all, but all gave some, which is uh, uh, paying to sort of the people who died in Desert Storm, and uh, Billy Ray Cyrus. You know, uh, that is that is a tradition I like in country music is paying mm. tribute to people who died in a war in a way that is like acknowledging often the pointlessness of that war. And sometimes then it's also like, good thing you died in a war. What a way to die. But like, there are a lot of songs, um, um, traveling soldier by the chicks is a really like amazing kind of, it's pro military anti-war, which is like a hard needle to thread. I was just going to say that that's, that's, that's interesting to me because I don't, it's, Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Threading that kind of needle politically of, (laughs) you know, which is, I would say, maybe harder to do than ever for country music because this, Mm -hmm. this country right now is so divided. You know, you obviously have these people that are just catering to the far right, but then you do have people that want, you know, moderates and want a little bit more of a universality to it. And I agree with you that, like, when these songs or when these artists get political, it tends to be about war, because I think that a large portion of their listenership are veterans or have family members or loved ones or whatever that are in the military. Um which I think is kind of interesting because I feel like, I mean, this not to go too far down this path, but it's just worth saying that, like, I think it's so fascinating to me that the Republican Party owns the veterans, right? Like, that seems to be, whereas um, to such an extent that you very infrequently, if ever, would hear, I mean, Taylor Swift doesn't have, I don't think, I maybe should, in her early stuff, I don't know, but like songs about war, songs about like, I mean, she obviously just got a song about the pandemic on on folklore, but like, I, it's just interesting to me that you don't see pop stars talking about veterans because it's been so weaponized against the left and the center 
if you understand sort of what I'm getting I at. I think that that's, I think that that just goes back to, you know, um, I think it goes back to the, the fact that we in America uh, don't, uh, uh, we have poor people fight our wars and uh, sure, sure. Uh, country music is traditionally music that, that touches Fair on enough. poverty in a way that, uh, you sure. know, allows that like uh, when you think about the politics of country music, huge, sure. huge quotation marks around that. It does tend to be centered on poverty, feeling left behind by your government, feeling like you ha- are at the end of your rope, or alternately, there's the alternate path of, um, you know, the the institution of marriage has failed me. Sure. I am a woman. I must murder someone. Like that. That old trope. Love those songs. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, it's. I just think it's. I. I think it's interesting how apolitical a lot of artists try to be because they're scared of, you know, touching the third rail or saying something they shouldn't or alienating people. I mean, not to keep bringing her up, but Taylor for the longest time was pretty apolitical, stayed out of that fray because she was scared of alienating her red state fans from her blue state fans. And then at a certain point was just like, "Mm." I don't know what that point was. I'm not sure if it was the election of a fucking idiot, but uh, yeah. I think, I think that she, uh, yeah, I think she reached a point where she was like, um, uh, but she was always like supporting the world's most moderate candidates. Like (laughs) for sure, for sure. Because she didn't, you know, she wasn't going to come out and be like, uh, I'm supporting, you know, Elizabeth Warren or whatever, because uh, that would be, you know, seen as going too far. She supported, I can't can't remember. It was like Phil Bredesen was his name in Tennessee. It was like this incredibly milquetoast Democrat. But he was, I mean, that was the only option, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, he was running against Marsha. Yeah. He was running against Marsha Washburn. Yeah. And I guess she's registered to vote in Tennessee. Taylor, come on the pod. Tell us about this. Um, (laughs) I mean, it's, it's a fascinating moment in the documentary, the Miss Americana documentary where she's having this discussion with her father well, their parents, in fact, and her mother's on her side and she's very passionate. She's on like the verge of tears talking about like how fucked everything has gotten since Trump got elected and how awful all this is. Um, And, and I just think it's, you know, it's just interesting when people of that magnitude of fame decide to step into the fray politically. Um, so for what that's worth. Yeah. And, you know, she's, she's uh, made, made a couple speeches about pride month and, you know, she's very, like, she is very supportive of LGBTQ people, which I think is also in general, um, the support of LGBTQ people is a big reason that uh, millennials and younger are more progressive and less Christian than older generations, uh, which uh, is interesting. Um, that's neither here nor there. Um, thanks, Taylor. Come on the pod. <laughs> Come on the pod. I, I just, I, I think that, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's all really interesting, especially on just the, the landscape of music over the course of our lifetime has gone through so many sort of technological changes on top of, you know, monetary changes and how much money is really able to be made off of music. It's a fraction of what it was back in 92. That's for damn sure. When, you know, you were, you were buying an album for, you know, $14, maybe something in that vicinity. Um, It's just, it's just interesting. To return to Garth Brooks for a second, did you know Please. that he had his own digital music platform for a while called Ghost Tunes because he refused to sell his music anywhere else? And if you wanted to get Garth Brooks, you I had mean, to get an account on Ghost Tunes. I mean, Garth, doesn't exist anymore. come on the pod. Garth, let's talk Ghost Tunes. <laughs> Just- Ghost Tunes is 
incredible. Why was it called Ghost Tooth? He had some album that had like Ghost in the title, and I guess okay, he was like, okay. uh, maybe it's a play on Ghost Town. I don't know. I don't know. I Garth, love it, you got to explain this to us, and then There's you can talk, Garth. You can talk with us about Fern Gully. Um, was he in Fern Gully? No, he just talked to us about it. I feel like he probably has thoughts on Fern Gully. Garth, you'd be surprised. You the list of people that want to come on this pod for Fern Gully. Just telling you, lots. I have more to add to it, and one of them is not Garth Brooks. But um, is it? Does she live with you? No, no. Okay, no. It's yeah. It's my it's my child. Um. <laughs> By the way, I think Margot would love. Yeah. Sorry, we can bleep that out. But I think your daughter would love uh, Fringoli. Yeah, probably. It's colorful. It is colorful. Here's the here's the thing that I've been getting into music wise lately. Mm-hmm. There are a bunch of videos on youtube called hey bear that are just dancing fruit and then they play they play over like uh uh they play over um like public domain music or creative commons music and the fruit dance back and forth i've been listening to a lot of that lately it's uh you're sleep deprived (laughs) yeah (laughs) well no it's because that's like that's sometimes the only thing that will make the child happy we just prop them up and stare at the tv and there's a pineapple going like this and they're like hey i love this and i'm like i love it too this is my favorite artist is the pineapple please sleep (laughs) to return to go ahead please yeah no 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 i was i was going to return us there but i do i you know i i think that in 92 to sort of to talk about like these bigger acts from brooks and dunn um i love brooks and dunn i love brooks and dunn um they were kind of this is 92 is the year when country music gets serious about finding the next garth brooks and brooks and dunn is kind of the closest they come um ultimately the next garth brooks is tim mcgraw but he's doing his own thing as so often happens you find the next thing by doing something else entirely um but yeah like Brooks and Dunn, uh, their first couple albums are really great. Uh, a lot of their hits are great. If you liked Neon Moon, the song on this playlist, um, there is a Casey Musgraves cover with like oh. an EDM uh, kind of underbeat. is so fucking good. You should find it. Uh, it's her with Brooks and Dunn, but all they do is sing the backing vocals. It's beautiful. I listen to it all the time. Huh. Okay. I'll check that yeah. out. Yeah. I, I mean... I am fascinated by Casey Musgraves because I feel like she is one of those artists you spoke of that kind of found a way to create her own lane a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I think that, you know, golden hour was a big album mm-hmm. um, and expectations were really high for star cross. I don't know that it met them. Um, but I think that might actually be for the best that that album was a little bit kind of weird and subdued a little bit. I think yeah. it might be. Yeah. And I think that it, it being a, a divorce album also helps right, it really. because there's a narrative around it that excuses whatever you think. I kind of love Starcrossed. I do too. It is, yeah. it is definitely an album that Emily would love. Um, <laughs> there's nothing better than when Emily speaks in third person. Um, to return to to return to Achy Breaky Heart, I don't yeah. really have fucking anything to say about Achy Breaky Heart. We I just mean, had to touch on it. It was huge. It was, what do you think of it? Are you, are you into I, it at all? You know, so here's the thing. As I texted you earlier today, I'm not a, a Spotify uh, subscriber. Mm-hmm. So I learned that Spotify won't let you play the songs in order um, on a playlist when you have a free subscription. Should I get uh, Apple Music instead? I mean, you should because it's easier and I 
anyway, I think Spotify kind of sucks. Uh, but this just this just solidified that for me. I bring this up only to say that the frustrating part about that was that I, I didn't know where I was in your playlist, right? So I pressed play and listened to it while I was reading or, you know, whatever. And I'd have to keep checking to see who I was listening to. And unfortunately, a lot of it does sound somewhat similar. What? I know. <laughs> so there was there were times where I was like, wait, who's this person? Because it, it would sound different yeah. or I'd want to kind of acknowledge it. Um, it, it. It's a lovely playlist that you made. As I mentioned, we're going to post it. Um, I, I just want to look at it here so that I have it in front of me um as we as we talk um but i i the songs that that jumped out at me are the songs that i found i'm excited to hear this i was gonna ask yes yeah um i liked the the mary chapman carpenter song he thinks he'll keep her yes Mm -hmm. um i liked the winona winona sorry winona song Mm um (laughs) i didn't even know you put bubba shot the jukebox on here (laughs) I probably, I probably, I mean, I definitely remember hearing it. Um, what was the other one that I, uh, that I, I mean, a lot of it's the female singers, if I'm being completely honest. Like, yeah. I liked the the Tanya Tucker song. Yeah. Um, um, oh, and I liked the, the George Strait song. Yes. I, I mean, again, the, the Achy Breaky Heart song is just, of the songs you put on here, is yeah. the most sort of like overtly poppy i get why this broke out but there's not much there there yeah yeah i agree i agree the there so there's three huge songs from uh 1992 in country space achy breaky heart winona's i saw the light which is on the list Mm -hmm. and garth brooks's um uh what she's doing now which i i think i put on my separate garth list because garth's not on spotify and which is weird yeah, but well, he's I on mean... Ghost Tunes though, so subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, is he on Apple Music? Uh, let's see. I know he's on Amazon Music because I, 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 that's where I listen to him. Um, I, uh, let's see if he's on here. Yeah, go ahead, sir. But yeah, I, I, those were the three huge songs. Um, I, I like other Winona songs more than I saw the light, but I think I saw the light's a really fun song. Uh, and I like other Garth songs more than what she's doing now, but like Garth is a, he can sell a fucking ballad and that's a beautiful ballad and he sold the hell out of it. And then there's achy breaky heart, which is just, you know, whatever. So to answer your question, the short answer is not really. Um, his albums are not, there is a live album from Germany in 1995 on here. Of course. There's a, um, there's a duet with where the I don't know mm-hmm. if that's a song you know, um, but basically the long and short of it is not really. Um, but I wonder if you can you probably you can definitely buy all his music on iTunes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's he's not he's one of those guys. He's holding out. Yeah, Garth, come Garth, on the pod. Come on the pod. Um, <laughs> tell tell us why you're not. Come screaming. to a concert on the pod. That'd be great. <laughs> what is Garth up to? Our today? special musical guest. We like do we do the Fern Gully episode with like just a ran, just one of our friends, and then our musical guest is Garth Brooks, and he sings the song from Fern Gully. Um, Fantastic. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I will say I, I, my favorite song on this playlist. One of my honestly, one of my favorite songs of that era of country is Mary Chapin Carpenter's "He Thinks He'll Keep Her." This is a song that like was 
it was a big hit on country radio in 1994 because this album that it came out on the album came out in 92 and then it spawned mm-hmm. like eight singles over the course of two years and that I'm, was I'm the last of them yes, please and i think it was her biggest hit ever it was nominated for grammy uh for record of the year i think it is uh a really great example of the uh feminist country song it's a uh, the, basically, the story of the song is is covering this woman's life at three ages. She gets married at 21. She uh, has her third baby at 29. And then at 35, she's left her husband and she's working in a typing pool. And, like, she's making minimum wage. And, like, I think, you know, I think that is an example of so when we're talking about country music, music's conservatism, and I think the conservatism of other red state art, like Yellowstone, some of Clint Eastwood's films, et cetera, is that these art forms know the hierarchy exists and are not interested in challenging it. That doesn't mean that they're not interested in questioning it, but like he thinks he'll keep her doesn't think it can solve the patriarchy. He thinks he'll keep her is like the patriarchy sucks and this woman has to exist within it. It is asking you to take the extra step of saying, oh, this kind of sucks. This woman should have a better, a better life. But like the, a lot of country music fans are just like, what an interesting portrayal of the way that the world is. She shouldn't have left her husband. Like, right. you know, country music, um, the works of Taylor Sheridan, like require <laughs> you to like, are asking you to make that next other step. And, and it just, you know, I think that we live in a more, I think we live in an artistically didactic age where we want our art to sort of tell us what to think about it. And that means that when a country song doesn't say this is bad, when he thinks he'll keep her doesn't say this is bad, there can be an implicit reading of this is good. Now, I don't think anyone could ever listen to he thinks he'll keep her and think that, but it certainly is like country is not really didactic unless it's being didactic about conservative causes. And I think that that is part of why it gets uh, rap as being conservative, whereas particularly women in country have long been uh, more interested in progressive uh, uh, ideals. Do you know where the title of the song comes from? Yes, it's from an advertising campaign, right? It's from a Geritol ad from the 1970s in which a man points to his wife's many accomplishments and attributes and then concludes, my wife, I think I'll keep her. Um, That's what my wife says about me all the time. All the time. Uh, This song describes the life of a woman who marries at age 21 has three children by the age of 29. Over the following few years, she begins to realize she's dissatisfied with her life. At 36, she informs her husband, I'm sorry, I don't love you anymore, and leaves him. In the chorus's bridge, Carpenter describes the housewife having worked for 15 years at a raise and is now in a minimum wage job. Music critic for the Entertainment Weekly observed that the song is subject tied into a recurring theme on Come On, Come On of women caught between tradition and contemporary worlds who realize that the solution lies with their own inner resolve. All things that you just said. Um, I'll also just say, too, uh, you mentioned that there were a bunch of singles off this album. There were seven singles off of 12 songs mm-hmm. um the first single i feel lucky came out on may 18th 92 and then i take chances the seventh single came out on april 25th 94 so basically yeah. two years later this album's still charting and that charting. album that album's such a good album like if if you liked he thinks he'll keep her and you like casey musgraves like this is kind of her proto casey musgraves proto form it is it is very much a concept album in the same way that like Golden Hour was. It's like I'm singing about 
it's I'm singing about what it means to be a woman living in this world. Um, Passionate Kisses is my other mm-hmm. uh, other song I really like by her. Um, Mary Chapin Carpenter uh, has just a string of really great songs uh, in the in the first half of the '90s, and then I think. I, I mean, this album her, was very successful. I mean, sold 3 million yeah. copies. I mean, I think that her politics, which were always more progressive than the country music mainstream, kind of became a thing that, but also like she just, she just had a bunch of dud songs, you know, she just, she just kind of hit a wall, like, like in terms of she just didn't have the, the best material for her. Um, and she still, you know, records good music. She's just not really recording in the country space anymore. <clears throat> I think it's, you know, I, I'm just looking at the sort of the the top hits of the year, um, mm-hmm. the number one country songs in the United States anyway. Um, and it, it is interesting to sort of see how long they stay on the, in the number one position. I mean, mm-hmm. Winona's No One no one Else on Earth yes. charts for five weeks, basically, at number one. Yeah. Um, Boot Scootin' Boogie by... Uh, Fucking great song. Great song. <laughs> I fucking uh, love Boot Scootin' Boogie. <laughs> when I was a kid, I was deeply traumatized. So I like to imagine that my life was a TV show because it was easier to approach my problems if I was fictional. And what I would do is I would lay down and I would listen to Boot Scootin' Boogie, the club remix, and imagine that it was the opening credits for my show and just like run through where all my friends would be credited. Of course, I was credited first. Uh, but that was the way I coped with my pain. So that's uh... What's the name of this show, Emily. <laughs> um, I, uh, this is this is so personal. Uh, I, we, well, we, I we don't, we, we don't, it was it was it was big house because oh. uh, I when I first came up with this coping mechanism, my favorite show was Little House on the Prairie. So of course my show would have to be called Big House on the Prairie. But that sounded stupid, so I just made it Big House. I like that. I mean, listen, you knew what you loved, and you and, loved Boot Scoot and Boogie. And I loved television. <laughs> uh, I mean, it is, it's it's a really, I mean, Brooks and Dunn has a, they have Neon Moon, which is also uh, charts mm-hmm. in 92. Um, yeah, I mean, Straight Tequila Night by John yeah. Anderson. I gotta say, I tried to put some variety on this playlist I gave you, and I still, yeah. as I was listening to it, yeah. I still was like, there's like five songs about driving and like fine i like driving too i like driving i genuinely one of my favorite things is to go on a road trip and just like drive around random streets and like that's what a lot of these songs are about and i still was like come on just like park the car and go do something um yeah it's i mean i guess this is part of also unfortunately and and this can truly probably be said for any genre of music right Mm -hmm. which is if it, you either like the vibe and you like the tropes that exist within that genre or you don't. And if you don't, it's going to seem awfully repetitive. I yeah. don't know. I mean, I yeah. mean that's, it's, it's just the I nature of the beast. Um, another, so uh, there's a few other artists on this playlist Wait, that at yes. the time are like really critically beloved. George Strait, who you mentioned, George Strait is a, he's a classicist. He's like, I want to do classic country songs and I'm not going to alter it up at all because of what Garth Brooks is doing. And he's enormously successful. Mm-hmm. He's He kind of just hangs out in that space his whole career. I think he's still making music. Um, uh, there's also uh, Alan Jackson, who yes. is pretty early in his career at this point. I put uh, Chattahoochee on here, which I think is a fun song. But like he's had, uh, it's maybe not the most representative of his work. He's very much also... 
he's similar to Mary Chapin Carpenter in my brain in that he's like trying to sort of stretch the boundaries of what a country song can mm-hmm. be about. He's the only country artist to do a good post 9-11 song, incidentally. All the country artists did songs about how we need to kill people. And Alan Jackson did a song that was about like, did you know that grief is complicated and it can hit you at random times? And I was like, yes, I did. Thank you, Alan Jackson. <laughs> um, <laughs> he sounds lovely. He sounds a- like it. Le- he sounds great. He um, has a big yeah. mustache. He's so he's. And, still, uh, and I love... imagine a big old hat. Well, yep, he's got a great hat. Got a great hat. Um, it's yeah. I I feel bad because I I I know that I'm not alone. I'm sure you've heard this many a time where people are like, "I love every type of music except country." Right? Like mm-hmm. it's the it's the asterisks. They're willing to open their their minds up to any type of music except for this one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's unfortunate. I mean, I, 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 I have no doubt um, that there's a richness to it that I'm not giving its its fair, you know, fair shake to. Yeah, so I apologize for that. I think that um, well, part of it also is let's say the okay here here's here's the artist I was referring to earlier. She recorded this amazing divorce album. Mm. Her name is Carly Pierce. And her third album is called 29 Written in Stone. It's about how she got married and got divorced within like a year. And there's uh, the first song is uh, one of the things I love about country is it's very reliant on wordplay. The first song is called Diamondback. And it is it is a play on the idea of like she's like mad like a diamondback snake. But also she wants the diamond back because like that. Yeah. Uh, that was, my brain went my brain went yeah. to she wants the diamond back first. Yeah. And um, it, it's a really like, yeah, it's it's a brilliant album. So let's say that you listen to this album and you're like, I do like it's a more traditional country sound than Casey Musgraves, but the lyrical material, I think you'd sure. be able to appreciate. So you listen to that and you're like, I do like this. Unless your next artist you listen to is another woman recording country music, you just are going to very quickly fall into like a hole of like, I like songs about trucks. Like, <laughs> I just, it, there is... In the 90s, there were all kinds of different types of, you know, country music within country, and they were all pretty, they didn't stray too far from the traditional format, but for instance, um, Alabama, who's on this playlist with I'm in a Hurry, Uh, there's a lot of Alabama songs I love, but Alabama's got that like big full band sound, they kind of sound like a bar band, you don't really see that as much in country now, so like... You know, if you if you're if you're into Carly Pierce and you should be because she's great, uh, like then you're like, well, where do you go next? You go to Miranda Lambert, you go to Casey Musgraves, you know, Carly Pierce gets compared to Casey Musgraves because she struggles to get music on the radio. And because people are like, well, maybe she should go pop. But like she's an amazing songwriter who deserves better. So. Yeah, you know, as as you were talking, I was thinking about Thelma and Louise of course. And, well, because I mean, just in terms of obviously that that movie is infused with Americana kind of country rockish music. Mm-hmm. The Hans Zimmer score is great too, which yeah. is sort of elicits a lot of that. But I, I'm just sort of looking at the artists that were in it. You know, Charles Sexton, Tony Childs, um, it, it, Kelly Willis, Michael McDonald. <laughs> god bless him um it's it's just kind of fascinating how like that movie as well is sort of you know in those waters but is 
you know sort of like the, the 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 female kind of independence of that movie and also like the men in that movie are actually like kind of great there are some great men mm-hmm. in that movie like mm-hmm. harvey Keitel's character michael madsen's character it's just it's it is interesting how this genre is oddly perhaps that women found their voice through this music Mm-hmm. which I don't think is associated enough with this music, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think I think that's really true. Like, again, you know, if you were coming, if you were performing music in the 70s and you were a woman, it wasn't like you couldn't break through on rock radio, but you kind of had to be in a band or you had to be like a supporting act or whatever. Whereas, you know, if you were in worlds that were more marginalized, like country music, like disco, et cetera, sure. you could have a really rich thriving career but then you would forever be in a marginalized genre and like there is a there has for a long time there was an assumption in music criticism that rock was the important genre and that has i think really been broken down in the last 15 years i mean really it started to break down as hip-hop became the dominant musical idiom of the 21st century and people started being like you have to appreciate what's happening in this format but now it's you know increasingly it's happened with pop it's happened with all these forms it hasn't happened as yeah. much with country unless country comes to other music so well, it's yeah i think that i totally agree with you and i think that the genre of music that kind of accelerated what you're talking about was electronic music mm-hmm. because electronic music which really kind of comes into real prominence in the mid 90s it you see a lot of rock stars wanting to fuck around with electronic stuff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and obviously on the hip hop side of things you had all that sampling and you had all that sort of ele- an electronic kind of influence going on there and i think that that those two genres basically electronic music still exists electronic yeah. pop is still very obviously very prevalent um but rock music now just feels unbelievably dated and i don't think it's dead i think someone will figure out a way back into rock music in some way but that last that last kind of big push we had was sort of post 9-11 new york scene strokes mm-hmm. yeah 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 is that kind of thing and then they've all kind of kind of gone their own you know to do their own thing yeah. anyway yeah. It's, it is really interesting because i think that i think oddly it was a technological advancement that forced out the instruments in a weird way there's constant there's constant um, rumors that Taylor Swift's going to record like an arena rock album. <laughs> I would love that. I mean, um, yeah, hmm. Karma was supposed to be that album, the one that that she killed to do Reputation. Yeah, the theory anyway. Supposedly, supposedly. Uh, a couple other artists I want yeah, to touch on on this playlist. Mm-hmm. Um, Vince Gill uh, sure. is another critically beloved artist at the time. He is just like. He just sings ballads because he has the most beautiful voice for singing ballads. I kind of don't want to hear him sing anything other than a ballad. He has a beautiful, he has like an amazing high tenor and he can Uh hit these like high notes. Um, I Still Believe in You is my wife's favorite song of this era. And like, so I put it on there for her sake, but it was a big hit. Um, He has, uh, his daughter is very fun on Instagram. Um, (laughs) She's my age. So I've just always been like, oh, Miss Gill's daughter. Um, and, uh, uh, Reba McIntyre, sure. uh, all but impossible to not talk about Reba at this period. Um, is there life out there is one of my favorite songs by her, but she also recorded a cover of, uh, the night the lights went out in Georgia, the Vicki Lawrence song, um, Uh in 92. Uh What do you think of is there life out there? If you noticed it at all? I can't remember. 
remember it. I'm sorry. It's very much it's very much the the central metaphor is she's looking up at the night sky and thinking, is there life out there? But she's thinking about it from behind the walls of the home she's trapped in because she's married. And like that's uh it, it's a, it's sort of a double meaning. I don't really remember it. It's okay sorry. if you don't remember it, that's fine. Um, uh, how many studio albums does Reba McIntyre have? Just just take a guess for me. Uh forty two. You were close. Uh, 34. Wow. And it is just, the. I just was literally, my eyes went wide when I see that she's, there's, there are years where she's recorded multiple albums. Yeah. It's, when she has a bunch of Christmas ones, which I imagine you love, right? I mean, Uh, yeah. I mean, love, love those. Yeah. Uh, George Strait has had 60 number one hits. Uh, and he, uh, I'm trying to, he has just recorded an absurd number of albums, but I'm not seeing that number right here. Uh, Uh, how long did Reba run for? How many episodes did, uh, it was six seasons. So I would guess, um, 130, 126. Wow. Look at you just knowing your Reba. I know my Reba. I know my Reba. Um, (laughs) do you, do you remember the, the theme song? I, I don't. I only watched like one episode uh, ever. It was because... called uh, "I'm a Survivor," performed by Reba McIntyre. I was yeah. in a I was in a, a forum where people talked about the Emmys, and there was this one guy who was like, "Reba needs to get nominated." And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> so I watched some Reba for him, and I was like, "This is fine." I I mean I didn't know that Reba. So it's a WB show, mm-hmm. and then it it goes to the CW for one season, and then it's canceled. Yeah. but um. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I ever saw an episode of my life. Hey. It's just a middle-aged wisecrack in Reba Hart thrown hey. upside down when uh, finds hey. her husband of nearly twenty years decides to divorce. There you go. There Runs you go. Away with a dental hygienist. I. I mean, it, what? Like, can you imagine the days when you could do that? Listen, when you could go into a network and be like, "I got Reba McIntyre. She's feisty. Green light." I mean, she's like a really good actor. Genuinely. She's not bad. No, I mean, like I was... she was. Uh, she was in Annie Get Your Gun on Broadway and was like terrific. So um, didn't she show up in? Um, oh God, Barbin, Barbin. Yep. What's her she's face? in Barbin Star. Go to Vista Del Mar. Star, go to Del Mar. Um, uh, so I'm going to just touch really quickly on a couple other artists sure, on this list. I've turned in. I'm, I'm now I'm the fill of this episode. Um, yeah, keep it on track. Bubba shot the jukebox. Arch, very funny. It's yeah. a, he he hears a sad song and he gets sad, so he shoots the bo- jukebox. It's a, you know, gun violence is always amusing. Um, the <laughs> um, uh, Trisha Yearwood is one of my favorite underrated stars of this time. Her song "Walk Away Joe" is about a teenage girl who uh, falls in love with a petty criminal. Um, and uh, Clint Black is kind of the another one of the wannabe. Uh, he's kind of in the George Strait vein of like he's trying to be a little bit more traditional. Um, not my favorite song by him, but I wanted you to be exposed to him. Uh, the Susie Boggus song I don't love, but I love Susie Boggus. You should listen to her song Aces if you're listening to this podcast. It came out in '91, so I couldn't re- I couldn't reasonably include it, but it's like one of my favorite songs of that era. And then finally, there's John Michael Montgomery, who's this weird, like, he was, like, basically grown in a lab to be Garth Brooks. Um, and he records a song called Life's a Dance, which uh, I think, however old I was at the time, Emily thought was profound and beautiful. Uh, the lyrics are, Life's a Dance, you learn as you go. Sometimes you lead, sometimes you follow. Don't worry about what you don't know. Life's a Dance, you learn as you go. Really just not the greatest song in the world. Um, uh, but he wrote a bunch of, uh, he recorded a bunch of songs, and then 
a thing that happens that is very strange is a couple of his songs get covered by the uh, the quartet, sort of the boys to men alike, all for one, record a couple of John Mon- Michael Montgomery songs in like more of a, a harmonized doo-wop style. Those both become enormous hits on pop radio. And that was the thing that was happening a lot in this period is country artists would cover pop songs, pop artists would cover country songs. And they would just like, there was a lot of cross-pollination in addition to people um, uh, crossing, uh, you know, people breaking through to the other side. Um, I swear is the the big one for both John Michael Montgomery and all for one. And if you like John Michael Montgomery, you have to listen to sold the Grundy County auction, uh, which is a song where he sees a hot girl at an auction and he wants to buy her. <laughs> Does she sell herself? You have to listen to find out. I'm not okay. going to spoil it. Yeah, no, spoil it. Spoiler. Yeah. Um, and we are running short on time, but I, I wanted to circle back to Garth mm-hmm. because I want to hear what she thought of We Shall Be Free because this is the other big story of country music. In... We Shall Be Free? We Shall Be Free. If you listen to it, it's fine. It's, it, it, it's you know, this, Garth's music is hard to find there? if you don't have ghost tunes. Um, uh, I... It's not on the playlist because you can't get it. it oh, like you can okay. listen to it on Amazon. I okay. texted you a separate list of Garth Brooks songs that oh, I sorry. encouraged. Sorry. That's fine. I, I, I encouraged you to seek them out, but uh, yeah, I get it. Yes. We shall be free is uh, we shall be free is Garth Brooks first single off the chase. He's had however many country number one hits in a row. And it is a song about how we need to embrace basically progressive values a lot of country stations okay. won't play it because it sure. has a reference to when you're free to love anyone you choose, which at the time is interpreted as both about homosexuality, which of course you have to remember in 1992, hugely controversial still, yeah. Yeah. but also interracial relationships. And uh, these uh, stations were like, we're not going to play it. Garth Brooks is so powerful that this song that like an absurd number of country stations won't play still gets to number 12 because everybody else is playing it so much it's kind of a bad song <laughs> it's very like it's a go- it's a, it's a gospel song gospel is uh-huh. another gospel is another form that has a lot of influence on country music that we haven't talked about but like it it has a real beautiful gospel chorus it has a great message the final verse is kind of about income inequality and like how we need to like give everyone a hand up Garth Brooks is basically an old school New Deal Democrat and he's from Oklahoma and his bar, uh, his bar, this is the thing that happened recently. His bar sells Bud Light and people got mad at him for that. And he was like, why? Queer people are cool. And then they were like, Garth, what are you doing? You're woke now. And I was like, in 1992, people were mad at Garth for being too woke. Like this is, this is a recurring theme to go away. I can't wait for us to be over this woke. We had, we had to, I mean, this is this is a total tangent, but like there are these words that are developed within certain spaces for uh, within certain communities and certain spaces for specific uses that then are warped and perverted by the right. Yep. Um, like the word groomer is an incredibly useful word if you are someone who's trying to describe a thing that happens to people that is terrible. And now it's just lost all meaning because it's all just meaning. been same thing happened with woke. Like woke yeah. was a useful word and now it's not. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> like not yeah it's 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 lost all meaning to, to, to even to the people who are scared of it quote unquote 
Yeah. Now it's just, this is the thing I don't like. And like, it's Garth Brooks's bar, apparently. (laughs) It's, yeah. I mean, this is part of, I mean, this kind of brings us full circle in in a way of, of just sort of, you know, the barriers of entry, the the people that weaponize this genre of of music in in all the wrong ways. Um, And it's unfortunate because I do think that, um, and by the way, you know there there are barriers of entry for all sorts of music right there's yeah. all sorts i mean it's it's this isn't this isn't something that they only deal with but um but i do think that they i imagine it has to be a little trickier i imagine to be a country music artist in this day and age than ever before and i think that you know we we were talking about um sort of the perils of red state art i think another thing that is really true is in the 1990s there is a lot more cross pollination between rural culture and urban culture and there just isn't anymore i live in la how many times do i like go to bakersfield you know <laughs> like whereas there's a really like large farming community um, a lot of country artists came from Bakersfield. Like there's something called the Bakersfield sound, but like, yeah, I never go to Bakersfield. I never go out to Hemet or wherever. Like I am cognizant that California is a huge producer of agricultural product. I'm, it's not like I'm driving. I, the... I, if I'm being completely honest, I can't even really comprehend the size of this state, mm-hmm. like just geographically. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if, you know, the people that do understand how red it is in different in places. Like it, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it really does cover the, the gamut. Um, obviously, the population dense areas are very, very progressive. So that's why the state will continually be as blue as it is. But um, it is really fascinating. And, and, I, and I think that, um, you know, I imagine that weirdly, if you, you there are pockets in all sorts of red states that have big blue chunks mm-hmm. in them. We oh just, for sure yeah i mean it. you think you think about um a lot of country music comes out of texas a lot of country music comes out of austin uh, yeah. country music comes out of nashville nashville's a tremendously progressive city like country music is more progressive than it seems but because of where it comes from and its conservatism in its sound and the fact that it is very much about social hierarchies and not necessarily about changing them yeah. i think it often gets painted with a broad brush. Now, right now, there is a lot of very arch conservative country music, not in the sense of like it's singing about voting for Trump, but it's singing about the joys of being a white man, basically. And there's like, I don't want to like sit here and say you can't sing a song about what's great about being a man. You know, I think that's fine. Um, I would I be don't, but, intensely but, alienated by it. I just like, I'm just imagining a song that's like, just, you know. Big swinging dick and a big swinging dick and a, a pair of cans. I don't know. <laughs> did you just write a song? I think I did. Tay, Taylor, come on the show. We're gonna we're gonna workshop this. Uh-huh. I mean, I but you're not wrong that that it is. Um, it comes from very progressive pockets of this country, and unfortunately, I think the people that are the most people that are listening to country music exist within a certain part of the political spectrum. And unfortunately it feels like all that music is being aimed at them or the yeah. majority of it. But I would also say like, I, I think that um, the, the, the pop lane, you know, if you look at someone like Carrie Underwood, for instance, who mm-hmm. also has found success in sitting on the fence of those two genres, yeah. um, I think is fascinating. And I think that, you know, there's only going to be more of that. Yeah. And it's, but yeah, you look at the the people who are 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 country stars right now, and it's 
it is kind of a, a just a long slew of just dudes who are just whatever. I mean, you have the occasional you have the occasional lady A or chicks or whoever who like are really creating beautiful group music, but it is it is all very samey, and I, I don't blame people for getting uh, turned off by it. But I think I think we need to talk about me now. Well, in our remaining, yeah. our remaining yeah. time, absolutely. Yeah. I was thinking about like why I was so gung ho about doing this episode uh-huh. because I was like I was like why like I was very much we have to do a country music. Episode. You were, you were. No, you were like mm, I don't know if I'm gonna like this, and I was like I'm gonna make you like some of it. Um, I. Yes. I mean, that is that is a succinct way of putting it, which is that when you first pitched it to me, my initial reaction was, but I don't like country music. Uh, and then I, you know, I, I tried to open myself up to it. And if nothing else, as I texted you, uh, you're one of the few people in my life that could make me listen to this music and thus uh, champion for success. Champion Emily. Yeah. I like and I think what has what is drive what has driven this is um doing this podcast has been i've been having a lot of fun doing it i've I've been uh enjoying watching these movies but it has also been an intensely alienating experience because like (laughs) we're talking to people who like have these experiences with these movies who have these like childhood memories of or adolescent memories of and I've seen several of these movies but often I saw them long after they had come out on video or whatever as we've long established, I've only seen two movies, and I only saw two movies yeah. in theaters in 1992. Yeah. The closest theater me was 45 minutes away. Mm-hmm. To a very real degree, the culture I consumed in 1992 was computer games, and we're doing a King's Quest Six episode. It's happening. And uh, country music. King's Quest Six. Best King's Quest came out in 92. It's happening. It's happening. Uh, you know, King's I Quest loved, Six. I loved Space Quest. Space was Quest. It- was Great. all about Space Quest, mm-hmm. um, and and I quite liked uh, Leisure Suit Larry. <laughs> of course, you did. <laughs> so you're uh, so I mean, maybe, naughty. Should we just do like a Sierra? Episode? Fuck yes, <laughs> let's fucking do a Sierra. You know who's a huge King's Quest fan is Sarah Benincasa, and I'm gonna uh, genuinely Sarah Great. come on the show. <laughs> Great, I would love it. Um. Anyway, uh, yeah, like re-listening to these songs thinking about these songs thinking about the country music of that era a lot of it is not has not held up in the way that i wanted it to you know a lot of it was very samey but you know listening to mary chapin carpenter again listening to alan jackson again listening to garth brooks again like really brought me back to this point when i was like i was looking for any window out of the life that i was in and like i couldn't really like you know i didn't have access to a lot of movies i didn't have access to a lot of tv and country music was this lifeline and like i i wanted to yeah i i think that i do think there is sort of this we talked a little bit about this with yellowstone and the leftovers but i think when you live in a large progressive city like we do in the city of los angeles there is kind of this like it's not even flyover country it's this like that part of the country almost doesn't exist it's not like you're not it's not like you're not thinking about it because we all live in a world where we constantly have to think about the ways in which you know there's uh, various red states infringing on freedoms of people that we want to like uh make sure are safe and can continue to access medical care and abortion and all of these things but i do 
and this is tricky to talk about because I don't want to be like, well, we need to, we need to pay more attention to them because that's the fucking New York times. I'm going to the diner and talking to five Trump voters and that's, you know, but I do think there is this thing that is in our culture where we kind of just ignore them and country music is the one place where they get a voice and country music has gone occasionally goes to some really dark and terrible places, but it also goes to like some really wonderful places. There are things that are beautiful about living in that world. There are things that are beautiful about those parts of the country. There are things that are beautiful about living in a tiny town and falling in love and like driving around on the back roads and, and um, you know, the smell of like the wildflowers in the summer and all of these things that are like country music themes that just, aren't coming up anywhere else in um in american popular yeah. culture and i mean i i i'm partial to this because <laughs> the show that uh the, the 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 spec script that libby and i have gotten literally every job or every piece of interest we've ever gotten off is about is set in the world where we grew up of of, of rural south dakota and is about like what it is to be in that world if you're a queer girl. And like inevitably we'll get we'll like people will read this and be like, this is we like this, let's make this. And then it climbs up the ladder and someone's like, who's gonna watch this? You know, who's gonna who who there are no queer people in red states is a thing that somebody like once said to me, but it's not it's not true. There's there's a beauty and there's a, a power and there's a, a purpose, and there is there is an intense grievance from people who live in those states that I think is entirely unnecessary and unwarranted and actively unhelpful, but I don't know if it's unfounded. I think that there is there. I think, I think they are as ignored as they think they are. And that makes them very mad. And anyway, the way to solve this is to make my television show. (laughs) Well, I, you know, I, I, as we obviously wrap this up, um, I'll just say that I don't think you're wrong. And I do think that feeling ignored, whoever mm-hmm. you are, um, ha- is painful, right? And, yeah. and, and that's to say, if you don't, you know, maybe want to be ignored, there are people that want to be ignored. But yeah. um, there are a lot of people that don't. And I think that, you know, it's it's part of what launched Trump in so many he's a grievance candidate uh he's a guy who who is just feeding that to people um and i think that i would argue that that both sides of the extreme flanks of the political spectrum are pretty much resoundly ignored by the majority of Mm -hmm. uh the public because there's just not as much money in it right like the money is in the center because that's where most people exist you know either center right or center left that's where it all kind of exists um and and i think that that uh unfortunate very broad brush that's painted it that that people at the far flanks are lunatics or Mm -hmm. you know don't have something to say or, or or legitimacy to their existence for lack of a better way of putting it I think uh, does everybody a giant disservice. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I, I miss, I miss where I grew up. I'm probably never going to go back there and country music, you know, helps me get in touch with that. I think, um, I think music is really good at that though, in general. And I know for me in particular, you know, there's just, there's albums that I put on that are transportive and that just, you know, make me feel like when I was back, you know, 
So if you're listening to this and you're at all curious about any of this, um, I would say the, the two artists from, or the three artists from this period, I would check out are Garth and uh, Mary Chapin Carpenter and Alan Jackson. I think they're all really good. You'll find a lot of good songs. And if you're just looking for some modern country music that is traditional, but also really good, uh, Carly Pierce is, she's fantastic. I saw, I just saw she released a new single with Chris Stapleton. I'm going to go listen to it literally right now. (laughs) Uh, well, I also look forward to covering talking about the other big Garth from 1992, which is Wayne's best friend Garth. At some point, yes. we'll talk about him too. Yes, and I, I want to, I definitely want to do a top 20 hits of 92 and a hip hop of 92 episode. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know nearly enough about 90s rap. I'm I don't either, but we'll find it. someone who does, mm-hmm. and they'll come on, and we'll talk about it, and it'll be great. Uh, and and I, I mean, you know, we didn't do a ton of music episodes, Kenny and I, for 99 because. Kenny doesn't like talking about music on podcasts. I really couldn't tell you why, but um, it's just one of those things. Um, but uh, we did a couple of them. We did like our favorite songs and stuff like that. But uh, I'd love to to do more deep dives into different genres that existed in 92. Because it's, it's honestly a time that doesn't, you know, wasn't a ton I was listening to. So let's do whatever the like big fucking show tunes were that year. <laughs> What was the biggest musical on Broadway in 1992, Emily? I mean, I'm sure it was still, I'm sure it was still Phantom at the time, but uh, yeah, let's see here. Okay. So here we go. The 46th Tony Awards. Uh, the big winner was Crazy for You. Like, this is not a great year for musicals. <laughs> it's, it's a George Gershwin uh, okay. uh, jukebox, basically a, a catalog musical. This is not it. They did a revival of Guys and Dolls, which was huge. I want to, like, this is Wasn't a time... Shocked. It wasn't shucked. This is a time when Broadway is just not quite quite there yet. Like you are still a few, you're post the British mega musical, which kind of ends with right. Saigon in 91, but you're pre the Rent stuff of 96. So the musical's really in kind of a What was, a when, when did Sunset Boulevard come out? Do you remember when Sunset Boulevard's that? 95. Right, and so that's like right that's, in the middle there. Yeah. yeah, and that's like, that's like a, a hit, but it's like loses a bunch of money because it's such yeah. an enormous show. So, right. yeah. And Glenn Close? Glenn Close, Glenn Close. Glenn Close did she win a Tony for that? She did. She did. <laughs> she's, she's so good in it. You know, I never like, saw it. I never, I've seen her on, I've seen, I, she, I saw her at the Tonys. I've seen, you know, clips of it on mm. YouTube. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a real uh, showcase for Glenn Close. That's how we're ending our country music episode. Everybody Glenn Close and Sunset Boulevard. Go seek it out. It's uh... Uh, this was great, Emily. I'm glad you, you forced me to do it. I'm glad that we did it. Um, we have lots of interesting episodes to come just to show you this. You know, we got school yeah. ties, brain dead and Malcolm X on the horizon. So, yeah. you know, it really covers the gap. But anyway, yeah. uh, thank you for making me do this. Absolutely. Thank you for listening sure. to my playlist, Phil. Thank you for going on this country music adventure with me. I'll talk Bye. to you soon. Bye. 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 Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.